We pray, God, for the healthcare workers, the doctors, the nurses, the medical assistants, the physician's assistants, all of the people, the truck drivers, everybody who's involved in this, that you would give them wisdom and strength and that you would encourage them through this tough time that as a nation, we're going through something difficult. You knew it was going to happen. So Lord, I just pray. I pray, God, that you would be with all of the workers. You would be with all the people who are at home. You would be, most importantly, Lord, with those who are sick with this virus. That you would comfort and give them a peace beyond all understanding. The peace of you, Jesus. Because you said there will be trials. There will be trials. But you have overcome the world, so we do not need to be fearful of that. So God, we give this time to you. Lord, I pray that it's your words, not mine, that whatever you want me to say, you allow me to say it, and what you don't want me to say, you stop me from saying it. Give me the words. Holy Spirit, speak. Fill this place. Allow people to know the truth. Because Jesus, you said the truth will set you free. So I pray for this time. We thank you for this opportunity to share the truth online and in the hearts of those who are watching. We pray all of this in Jesus' holy name. Amen. So last week, we looked at David as a leader. He was considered a man after God's own heart. First Samuel 13 tells us that God was going to find a man after his own heart, and it's confirmed to us in the book of Acts, chapter 13, verse 22, that David was a man after God's own heart. He had some great leadership qualities that all of us should desire and emulate. He was confident, and he put his confidence in the Lord, not man. We, we saw this confidence in the fight against Goliath, the giant. David trusted the Lord in that example. He knew that if the Lord was going to bring him out of the mouth of the lion and the bear, this, this Philistine that was defying the armies and, and the nation of Israel, he knew that God was the one that was going to deliver him. It wasn't about the swords. It wasn't about the armor or the equipment or the strength. And we saw David's confidence there in God. He put his confidence in the right thing. He put it in God and God delivered him. Then we saw another leadership quality of David. His integrity. See, after he does this stuff in 1 Samuel 17, after he defeats Goliath and the shield bearer, mind you, there's two people on that battlefield. After he does that, Saul, the king, wants to kill him. And so he's chasing him around the nation of Israel, all around the land, and David uses integrity not to kill Saul. Not once, but twice. He has an opportunity to kill Saul twice, and he doesn't do it because he says, by no means would I destroy those or the Lord's anointed. And so we see the integrity of David. But then, however, we get into his bad. 
He has bads. And again, the whole sermon series on leadership, and we're looking at the men and women of the Bible, is to see the fact that there are human beings in the Bible. Just because they're in there doesn't make them not human beings. Yes, they're important people, and God decided to share his story through them, but they're human beings, and they make mistakes, and they sin just like you and I. And so God, through this sermon series, I hope is affording you the opportunity to know that, yes, you are a human being, and yes, you make mistakes, but God is going to use you no matter what. And so we see David's bad. He decides to become a murderer and an adulterer. He sleeps with his buddy's wife. He gets her pregnant. And then he tries to cover it up. And when that doesn't work, not once, but twice he tries to cover it up, he then sends him to the front of the line with his own death warrant in his hands. And he gets the man killed. That man was Uriah. And so we see the bad of David. We see the bad of his human side, the way that he is. God was still involved in that story. They follow God and they sin just like you and I. But the God we serve is a God of grace and a God of mercy and a God of understanding. And the leaders who lead the nation of Israel make some pretty horrible sins in their lives, but yet God still uses them. Grace is something God gives us. Something we don't deserve, yet He gives it to us. However, you have a short time on this earth to experience God's grace. And for those of you who think, well, I might wait to make a decision about Jesus Christ or following God's ways, I want to tell you right now, there's not a lot of time left. We live on this earth 70, maybe 80 years. And then it's over. And for some of us, this is the closest to hell that we're ever going to get. However, and sadly, this is the closest to heaven that many are going to get. And so I want you to make a decision about Jesus Christ. I want you to really, truly ask the question. Because it's the most important decision you'll ever make in your entire life. And if you haven't made a decision about Jesus Christ and the truth of Jesus Christ, and you're saying to yourself you're going to wait, no decision is a decision in and of itself. So you have to be careful. And I'm here to tell you that today we're going to be looking at a man named Solomon. We're looking at his leadership skills, his qualities that we all want to look at, desire, and emulate. But he also has some faults as well. He lacks obedience to God. But he becomes the king of the nation after his father David dies. And Solomon is considered the wisest person to ever live. And I'm going to get to that in a minute. You're going to see it in the scriptures that God says that about him. And so yet, his wisdom, putting knowledge into practice, that's what wisdom is, his wisdom fails him in the end. And we're going to look at that. We're going to look at his bad as well. So let's look at the good and bad of Solomon and learn from the past so we aren't doomed to repeat the past or at least learn something from the past. So turn with me to 1 Kings chapter 3 in your Bibles. 1 Kings chapter 3. And we're going to look at Solomon's good. We're going to look at the wisdom of Solomon. And it's going to be starting in verse 2. 1 Kings chapter 3 verse 2 says this, 
the people were sacrificing at the high places. However, because no house had yet been built for the name of the Lord, Solomon loved the Lord, walking the statutes of David, his father, only he sacrificed and made offerings at the high places. And the king went to Gibeon to sacrifice there, for that was the great high place. Solomon used to offer a thousand burnt offerings on that altar. Verse 5, At Gibeon the Lord appeared to Solomon in a dream by night, and God said, Ask what I shall give you. And Solomon asked, You've shown great, great and steadfast love for your servant David, my father, because he walked before you in faithfulness, in righteousness, in uprightness of heart towards you. And you have kept him from this, this, this great and steadfast love, and have given him a son to sit on the throne this day. Verse 7, And now, O Lord my God, you have made your servant king in place of David my father, although I am but a little child. I do not know how to go out or come in. And your servant is in the midst of your people, whom you have chosen, a great people, too many to be numbered or counted for multitude. Verse 9, Give your servant therefore an understanding mind to govern your people that I may discern between good and evil. For who is able to govern this, your great people? Verse 10, It pleased the Lord that Solomon had asked this, and God said to him, Because you have asked this, and have not asked for yourself long life or riches or life of your enemies, but have asked for yourself understanding to discern what is right, behold, I now do according to your word. Behold, I give you a wise and discerning mind so that none like you has been before you and none like you shall arise after you. I give you also what you've not asked for, both riches and honor. No, so that no other king shall compare with you all your days. And if you walk in my ways, keep my statutes and my commandments as your father David walked, then I'll lengthen your days. What does it mean to be wise, church? What does it mean to be wise? What did we just see from this exchange between Solomon and God here? God said he was going to give Solomon a wise and discerning heart and a discerning mind so that none was like him before him or none will be like him after him. What an amazing gift. What an amazing gift. According to God, there was none like Solomon. Not one. Before he was born, there was none like him after he dies. He truly is one of a kind. So what does it mean to be wise or have wisdom? Let me give you a definition. A simple definition of wisdom is this. Wisdom is the quality of having experience, knowledge, and good judgment. Let me say it again. Wisdom is the quality of having experience, knowledge, and good judgment. The soundness of an action or decision with regard to the application of experience, knowledge, and good judgment. Solomon asked God for an understanding mind to govern his people that he may discern between good and evil. He didn't ask for money. He didn't ask for power. He didn't ask for fame. He didn't ask for strength. He didn't even ask for his enemy's hand or their lives. He asked God for wisdom. He asked God for wisdom. 
It reminds me of a story of a young man going to Socrates asking him for knowledge and wisdom. The story goes this way, at least this is the way I read it. The man comes up to Socrates, for those of you who are into Bill and Ted's, but Socrates, and he says to him, I want wisdom and knowledge. And Socrates puts his arm around him, walks him down to the water, and he puts him in the water about belly, belly high, waist high. And he says to him, what do you want? He says, I want wisdom and knowledge. Socrates, teach me wisdom and knowledge. So Socrates dunks him under the water for about 30 seconds. And he pops back up and he says, what do you want again? He goes, wisdom and knowledge. Wisdom and knowledge. So then Socrates dunks him under the water again for another about 40 seconds this time. And he lets him out. And the guy is trying to catch his breath. And he's like, what do you want again? He goes, wisdom and knowledge. I, I just want wisdom and knowledge. And so Socrates dunks him under the water one more time. And this time for at least a minute. And then he finally lets him up and he says, what do you want again? He goes, air. I, I need air. When you want wisdom and knowledge, as you just ask for air, sir, then you'll have wisdom and knowledge. The moral of the story is simple. When you want something as much as you want air, you're going to find it. When you're in search of something like wisdom and knowledge, make sure you're not just talking the talk, but you're walking the walk, that you are asking for wisdom. If you really want wisdom from God, then you need to go and search and seek and find it in the Scriptures, like it's your breath. I think of Proverbs 30, verse 5. Every word of God proves true. He's a shield to those who take refuge in Him. Or Psalm 119.105, Your word is a lamp to my feet and a light to my path. Solomon asked to have the ability to know right from wrong, truth from fallacy, good from evil. He asked for the ability to take knowledge and put that knowledge into practice and take care of the Lord's people. How many leaders today, on average, would you say, Ask for wisdom and not money or power or fame or give promises that they can't hold to. How many leaders do you think do that? How many leaders do you think ask for wisdom? This is the God who created the world. He's the one who started everything in motion. He says, if you seek me, you will find me. If you ask, the answer will be given to you. Knock and the door will be opened to you. How many people truly believe that, church? How many people actually look to God for wisdom about anything in their life? The guy who created everything, walk out your door this morning. Look at the world. Let me say that again. Look at the round world. Sorry, all you flat earthers. But look at the world and realize that that God says, I'm going to give you what you ask of me, not as a genie, but he gives us wisdom and he gives it to us freely. Because those who are in Christ Jesus, when, when Jesus says, I and the Father are one, he's saying that they are one and the same, that they are who they are that they were going to give him wisdom. And Jesus said, ask anything in my name, and it will be given to you. 
Now, I'm not talking about health and wealth and prosperity. That's not what I'm saying. But I'm asking you to ask God for wisdom and to find out his will. Don't be conformed any longer to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your minds so that you're going to know who God's good and perfect will is. That's what I'm asking us to do today, church. Ask for wisdom. I pray that the doctors and the healthcare workers are asking God. I pray that the researchers of the drugs are asking God to give them wisdom on how to combat this crazy virus, this infectious disease that's killing thousands. We pray. For all of those who are in China, we pray for all of those who are in Europe, the United States, Canada, Africa, all the Asian countries. We pray for all of them, the Australians, everybody. Because this is going to decimate families. It's going to hurt your loved ones. It's going to affect a lot of people. And we need to be asking God for wisdom in this, in this matter, in this time. We need leaders who are going to ask God how to take care of this. Because He knows. You know what I love about God is when you ask Him for something and He gives it to you, He then tests you. And if you don't believe me, I, 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 I want you guys to do something for me. Pray to God for patience. Pray to God for patience and then watch what happens. When you, when you ask for patience, watch what happens. Pray to God for patience because He sure tests you. Let me give you an example. 1 Kings chapter 3, verse 16 through 28. Listen to this. This is the test. Then two prostitutes came to the king and stood before him. The woman said, Oh my Lord, this woman and I live in the same house, and I gave birth to a child while she was in the house. Then on the third day, after I gave birth, this woman also gave birth. And we were alone. There was no one else with us in the house. Only we, two women, were in the house. Verse 19, And the woman's son died in the night because she lay on him. And she arose at midnight, took my son from beside me while your servant slept, and laid him at her breast, and laid her dead son at my breast. When I arose in the morning to nurse my child, behold, he was dead. But when I looked at him closely in the morning, behold, he was not the child that I had born. But the other woman said, no, the living child is mine, the dead child is yours. The first said, no, the dead child is yours, the living child is mine. Thus they spoke before the king. Verse 23. Then the king said, the one who says, this is my son that is alive, and your son is dead. And the other says, no, but your son is dead, and my son is the living one. And the king said, bring me a sword. So a sword was brought to the king. 
And the king said, Divide the living child in two. Give half to the one and half to the other. Verse 26, The woman whose son was alive said to the king, Because her heart yearned for her son, Oh my Lord, give her the living child, and by no means put him to death. But the other said, He shall neither be mine nor yours. Divide him. Then the king answered and said, Give the living child to the first woman, and by no means put him to death. She is his mother. And all Israel heard of the judgment that the king had rendered, and they stood in awe of the king, because they perceived that the wisdom of God was in him to do justice. The wisdom of God was in him to do justice. When you ask for something from God, you will be tested. He will test you. Solomon passed with flying colors because he knew exactly how to handle the situation. He knew that the one who really loved the child would give it up in order to save it. It reminds me of a story in 2004, a painting by Anne Mary Robertson, better known as Grandma Moses, was brought to the Antiques Roadshow for appraisal. Grandma Moses was born before the Civil War and she wasn't very good at painting. She kind of had a primitive style of painting because she took it up later on in life. Her paintings weren't that valuable, by the way. And as the story goes, the man who brought the painting to be evaluated, he lived nearby, he and his mother, and they were really good friends with Grandma Moses. And he said this, he said, she was just a wonderful friend of the family, and she would let my mother buy these paintings, which she thought were relatively, relatively little value. I guess my mother did too. She probably bought eight to ten of these paintings in all, and my guess would be for perhaps under ten bucks each. The painting was bought for around 10 bucks and was appraised for around $60,000. In her early days of painting, Grandma Moses didn't think of her work as being very valuable. So she parted with them for next to nothing. Now, if you ask me, I'd never spend that kind of money on a painting. I just, it's, it's not Rembrandt, it's not Monet. Sorry, I have seen enough Grandma Moses work, but. However, how often do we give up things that are priceless for a little temporary pleasure? How often do we think that our schemes will succeed when they really just fail? Like the woman who had her son die because she laid on him, and it was an accident. I remember when my wife and I first had our daughter, we said we would never let her sleep in our bed because of this very reason. We didn't want to roll over and suffocate her. That was our biggest concern. She came early. In fact, we left the hospital without our daughter. It was amazing. We were like, hey, we're parents. And we went home and did what we normally did. We didn't have a kid with us because she was in the NICU. And I remember he had to scrub in order to go see her. And it's just a crazy time in our lives. And that was one of our biggest fears, this idea, this thing here of rolling over on our kid and, and causing her to die because we made a mistake or we had an accident. But how often do we think our schemes will succeed when they just fail? 
The best way to determine what matters the most to someone is to not hear what they say, but to see what they do. Actions speak louder than words. This is the lesson that many politicians in America need to learn from. The things that we do are the things that we value most. A fool does not seek wisdom because they don't see the value in finding wisdom. But wise people seek wisdom even at great costs because they understand how important it is to successful living. When we value what God values, church, when we value what God values, we are on the path towards wisdom. Solomon did value what God valued, and God gave him so much more. He gave Solomon not only wisdom, church, but he also gave him riches and fame. Look at it with me. Turn to 1 Kings chapter 4, verse 29 says this, And God gave Solomon wisdom and understanding beyond measure, and the breadth of a mind like the sand of the seashore, so that Solomon's wisdom surpassed the wisdom of all the people in the east and the wisdom of all of Egypt. For he was wiser than all men, wiser than Ethan the Israelite, or Haman the Chalcol, or Darda the son of Melah. And his fame was in all the surrounding nations. He also spoke 3,000 proverbs, and his songs were 1,005. He spoke of trees from the cedar that is in Lebanon to the hyssops that grow out of the wall. He also spoke of beasts, and of birds, and of reptiles, and of fish. And people, all the nations, came to hear the wisdom of Solomon from all the kings of the earth who had heard of his wisdom. What do you value most in life? What are you running after most in this life? I say this, guys, run after God. Run after God. And you're going to find everything you could ever ask for. Maybe not here, but I guarantee you when we are no longer here, you will find everything. You'll find everything. And as a football coach, I tell the kids all the time, you get 100% of everything you don't ask for. Let me say it again. You get 100% of everything you don't ask for. So ask, seek. Ask yourself the question, what are you running after? There you're going to find where your heart's treasure lies. Solomon at this point in life ran after God. He ran after God, and now that's the good that Solomon had. Now let's look at the bad of Solomon, because these men and women both possess good and bad things. And we need to see both the good and the bad things in order to know that we are just the same as today as they were back then. So let's look at Solomon's bad. 1 Kings chapter 11. Verse 1 says this, Now King Solomon loved many foreign women, along with the daughter of Pharaoh, Moabite, Ammonite, Edomite, Sidonian, and Hittite women. From the nation concerning which the Lord had said to the people of Israel, You shall not enter into marriage with them. Neither shall they with you, for surely they will turn away your heart from their God after their gods. Solomon clung to these in love. He had 700 wives who were princesses and 300 concubines. 
and he had wives, turned away his heart. Verse 4, when Solomon was old, his wives turned away his heart after their gods, and his heart was not wholly true to the Lord God, as was the heart of David his father. For Solomon went after Ashtoreth, the goddess of the Sidonians, and after Milcom, the abomination of the Amorites. So Solomon did what was evil in the sight of the Lord, and did not wholly follow the Lord as David his father had done. Verse 7, then Solomon built the high place for Chemosh, the abomination of Moabs, and Molech, the abomination of the Ammonites. Molech was a bronze god where they would sacrifice babies to him. In fact, I think it's Paul Copen who wrote God's Not a Moral Monster, uh, or is God a Moral Monster in his book, and he talks about Molech and the fact that they would drum louder because they would rip these babies from their mother's hands and they would throw them on this bronze statue that was cooking they would set it ablaze and they would throw these people onto the statue, these, these children. And they had to drum louder to drown out the screams of the mothers and the parents. That's what these people did. Verse 8, So he did all of his foreign wives who made offerings and sacrifices to their God. And the Lord was very angry with Solomon because his heart had turned away from the Lord, the God of Israel, who had appeared to him twice and commanded him concerning this that he should not go after other gods but he did not keep what the Lord commanded therefore the Lord said to Solomon since this has been your practice and you've not kept my covenant and my statutes that I've commanded you I will surely tear the kingdom away from you and I will give it to your servants yet for the sake of David your father I will not do it in your days but I will tear it out of the hand of your son Verse 13, however, I will not tear away all the kingdom, but will give one tribe to your son for the sake of David my servant and for the sake of Jerusalem that I have chosen. See, Solomon's bad was his lack of obedience to the Lord. Obedience is a simple thing. Here's the definition of obedience. Compliance with an order, request, or law, or submitting to another's authority. Compliance with an order, request, or the law, or submitting to another's authority. Obedience. He didn't have it. He shook his fist at God. He married when he wasn't supposed to. Solomon didn't obey the commands of the Lord, and it cost him his kingdom. And that's a great bad. He again was a man asking for wisdom from God, and God gave him great wisdom. And yet... He wasn't wise enough to turn away from the lusts of women. Solomon is the author of Proverbs, the Song of Songs, but he's author of Proverbs, and he talks a great deal in Proverbs. If we've been going over this on Sunday night evening service, we've been going through the Proverbs, and he talks a great deal about the adulteress. And he didn't listen to his own words, church. He didn't heed the words of God. How many of us are like that today? He knew he wasn't supposed to do the very thing he was doing, yet he still did it. However, God says, for the sake of His Word and His chosen people, he'd tear, He wouldn't tear the whole nation away from Him. He didn't leave Solomon completely. And he didn't forsake Solomon completely for not obeying him fully. 
He took most of it away. Even with we are faithless, he remains faithful for he cannot deny himself. 2 Timothy 3.10 God's grace and mercy is all about him, not us. Too many people misunderstand this. God's character is about him, not us. So I'm begging you to stop thinking it's about you, because it's not. His character is about him. And he shows true, he proves true constantly, even when we are faithless. His character shines through. His truth is true. We're going to be looking at the life of Paul. But he said this, I do not understand my own actions, for I do not do what I want to do, but the very thing I hate. Now if I do what I do not want, I agree that the law is good. So I no longer I who does it, but the sin that dwells in me. For I know that nothing good dwells in me that is in my flesh. For I have the desire to do what's right, but not the ability to carry it out. For I do not do the good I want, but the evil I do not want is what I keep on doing. No, if I do what I do not want, and it's no longer I who do it, but the sin that dwells in me, so I find it to be a law that when I want to do right, evil lies close at hand. For I delight in the law of God in my innermost being. But I see in my members another law waging war against the law of my mind and making me captive to the law of sin that dwells in my members. What a wretched man am I! Thanks be to God through Jesus Christ our Lord. So then I myself serve the law of God with my mind, but with my flesh I serve the law of sin. There is now, therefore, no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. For the law of the Spirit of life has set you free in Christ Jesus from the law of sin and death. Jesus Christ is the reason you can be saved. His work. His death on the cross. Yes, you have to repent and return from your ways. But when you fail, understand the character of who God is, not who you are. Because you're a wretch, just like Paul, and so am I. More than that in a couple weeks. But live for Christ. To die is gain. That's where you have to get in this world. Run after wisdom like it's air you need to breathe. And the only real wisdom is the wisdom of God. So run. Run after God with everything you got. Run after God like it's more valuable than a $300 million lottery. Run after God like it's a treasure that no one else knows about. And you sell everything you got to go buy the field where the treasure was at. Run after God for wisdom. That's my encouragement to you today because He will give you that. He will give you the peace beyond all understanding. Don't let someone or even yourself try and take away the grace of God or the mercies of God. Run after Him and seek Him. Jesus said when you do that, you're going to find Him. Jesus is the peace that's given to all of us and the wisdom that we all can possess because He died. He died for us to be saved from the wrath of hell. Christianity has never been about bad people becoming good people. 
As Ravi Zacharias likes to say, it's not about bad people becoming good people, it's about dead people becoming alive. And you become alive when you put your faith and your trust in Jesus Christ. Jesus is the peace that's given to all of us and the wisdom that we can all possess because He died for us to be saved from the wrath of hell. These things I have spoken to you that in Me you may have peace, Jesus says. In the world you're going to have tribulation. But take courage, I've overcome the world. John 16.33 Who are you trusting in, church? Jesus or the government? Who are you trusting in, Jesus or scientists? Who are you trusting in? Jesus or those you hear on TV or even online? Where does your heart lie? Jesus never promised long life or prosperity. In fact, it's the very opposite. He says you're going to have trials and you're going to have tribulations. However, for those of us who have Jesus Christ, we have peace. Are you tapping into that peace? Are you running to that peace? Are you asking that peace, Jesus Christ, for peace, for understanding, for truth? Are you trying to do it on your own? Don't let someone or something like a sickness or a bully take away the peace of Jesus Christ and the truth of Jesus Christ. Don't let, don't let it happen. Take refuge in Him. Believe in Him. You're going to find peace. You're going to find safety. You're going to find strength. You'll make it through any trial or tribulation. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, I pray today. I pray that we would be reminded that every step we take in faith is a step compelled by Your grace. Lord, I pray that we take up our crosses daily, no matter the cost, and really run after You and learn to be faithful even when we are faithless. You remain faithful because this salvation is not about my character, but it's about Yours. And we need to be reminded of that every day. Give us peace beyond all understanding. And Lord, lay on our hearts truth and wisdom. Like Solomon asked for and, and, and help when trials come. And to lean not on our own understanding, but acknowledge you in all of our ways, and you will make our path straight. Lord, I pray for the first responders. I pray for the doctors, the nurses, those who are fighting this battle of the coronavirus. I pray for our nation. I pray, Lord, for the people to look to You in times of trouble and to find the peace of knowing that You are in control. Not some government official, but You are. Jesus, You said that none of us can add a single hour to our day by worrying. So, Lord, I pray like You prayed. I pray that we seek You first, Your kingdom and righteousness, and all these things that we're worrying about would be taken care of or handled by You. Help us, Lord, as we as believers in Jesus to have a peaceful heart, as peaceful as doves and as shrewd as serpents to our neighbors in these trying times. I pray all of this in Jesus' holy name. Amen.
I thank you guys for watching. May God bless you through this week. I pray earnestly that you would be safe, that God would take care of you. I hope to see you next week again at 10 a.m. Thank you again. God bless.